Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we continue our seven-part series entitled The Power of Perspective, Life Principles from the Book of Proverbs. And this week's message, the fifth in the series, is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled Making Your Marriage Work. Well, we are continuing today the series that we've been in now for a while, The Power of Perspective, which is life principles from the book of Proverbs. And we come today to this very practical topic of the area of marriage. And I just mentioned in the opening prayer, uh, marriage is one of those things that just has affected all of us at such a profound level. Uh, you know, growing up, uh, the, the, the marriage that your parents had, good, bad, or otherwise, what an impact it had on your life. Um, a lot of us here are married now. You're right in the thick of things. Uh, some of us have been married. We're looking back and saying what went wrong. Others of us want to be married, assuming that God brings the right person, the right time, the right way. And so this is just one of those topics that's hard to imagine, a, a topic that kind of hits us more important than this. And so today we're going to talk about what the book of Proverbs uh, has to say. And there in your, your, uh, your note sheet, the opening section, uh, it's called Marriage 101, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And the bottom line is it can be all three. It can be good, it can be bad, it can be ugly. And what I'll say several times today, I just want to drive this home, is that if you are married, marriage is the most important relationship in our life. And whatever we do, we've got to figure this thing out to make it work. It's just it's that critical. And if you're not married, then, oh, you need to be very careful. Because um, you have a, still have a choice, you know, and, and, and you're going to be uh, presented with options, and so we need to choose wisely. Now, what Proverbs says to us is that not only is marriage incredibly important, like for our personal happiness, but it's also just uh, important for our, our success in life overall. Uh, and it's very interesting. Um, I came across a, uh, a book a few years ago that I loved. It was called, it's a business book, and you probably picked up by now, I do a lot of reading in, in business literature and leadership and business leadership and so on. It was a fascinating book. It was written by a couple um, headhunters, Fortune 500 headhunters. So their job is to go out and to find uh, CEOs, uh, CFOs, COOs for Fortune 500 companies. And in the process, they became very intrigued, like what makes a great leader? What makes a great executive? And they began to do some statistical research on the companies of our country. And their goal was to figure out, now, what are like the top, who would be like the top business leaders in the United States today? And they say it's statistical analysis of the companies. They did a lot of interviews in the field, in each of these different fields of who would people would say would be the best leaders. And, and they boiled it down and they came up with what they consider the top 50 business leaders of our nation. Then they went out and they interviewed each of these leaders to say, what makes you such a great leader? What lessons could you pass on to us about leadership? And the interesting thing is, one of the things that they came up with in that book, they came up with 10, uh, at the end of the book, they summarized it all and said, here are the top 10 qualities of great business leaders. And interesting, because one of those 10 qualities was a strong family life and marriage. It's really interesting. In fact, there in your note sheet, I put a quote from their research and said, uh, among the 50 business leaders on our list, there's an overwhelming degree of fam family stability. No less than 43 of the 50 are married to their original spouse. Let's stop and think about that. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's the top of the field, you know, major leaders. You'd think, oh, their lives would be falling apart. They'd have no family life. You know, they'd have, how interesting, 43 of the 50, way above national average, 43 of the 50, um, had an overwhelming degree. Uh, more important, though, than the mere statistics, however, was that many of these leaders cite the balancing, balancing effect of a strong family life and the quality of objective advice they get from an intelligent spouse as key ingredients in their life success. So not only do they have these families and marriages, they say, that's why I'm successful. That's one of the things that's contributed to my success. Very interesting. Now, Proverbs comes along and says much the same thing. In fact, in Proverbs 31, we have the Proverbs from King Lemuel. And he talks about what a model wife looks like. And this is, you know, most men's favorite passage in the book of Proverbs. I need to tell you one thing about the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is written from the perspective of advice that a father is giving to his sons. 
Okay, so all through the opening chapters, two, three, four, they all start the same way. My sons, my sons, my sons. And so it's the book of Proverbs is written from a father-son perspective. And that's why the Proverbs is like how to find a good wife and never how to find a good husband. You know, it's like that kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's like a father. But of course, the principles go both ways. And that'll be important uh, as we study today. But in Proverbs 31, King Lemuel talks about the, the power that a, a good marriage has on a person's success overall in life. For example, there in your note sheet, a wife of noble character. Who can find? In other words, they're not easy to define. I mean, I'm sure all of you here at Rocky Peak would fit that category, but in the world in general, you know, they're hard to find. And since so she is worth more, uh, far more than rubies, her husband has full confidence in her, lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Her husband, as, and as a result of this influence, her husband is respected at the city gate. Now, in ancient times, the city gate is where the elders, the leaders of the land, would meet to make corporate, uh, uh, kind of community decisions. It's where the judges would meet to render judicial decisions. So what this is saying is that through her influence in his life, he's risen to a power of respect and leadership in his, in his you know, uh, business world or judicial world. And so it says her husband is respected at the city gate and where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. And so Proverbs is right off the bat. It wants to talk to us about, hey, the marriage impacts not just our personal happiness, but our, our kind of success in all of life, all right? Now, Solomon chips in, and he's got some things to say about this. And so you've got some verses there in your note sheet about how important marriage is if you're married. Proverbs 18.22 he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Uh, one of the greatest gifts in life is having a good spouse. Second one, Proverbs 19.14, houses and wealth. They're inherited from parents, but a, pr a prudent wife or a prudent spouse, a good spouse, is from the Lord. Look at the next one. gives us both sides of the equation. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. A wife of noble character, hey, her husband's crown. But a disgraceful wife or a disgraceful husband, oh, it's like decay in the bones. It's like, like being in a bad marriage is like having emotional bone cancer. It just eats away at you. Okay? And so the message of the book of Proverbs is if you're single, choose very carefully. If you're married and it's too late... then make your marriage a top priority in your life. It's the most important relationship. A lot of your happiness, success lives can come out of it. So whatever it takes to make it work, figure it out. That's the message, okay? Now, there's a couple times in this message where I'm going to talk to us men and us guys, okay? I, I thought of having the wives leave at this point, but logistically it just didn't work out. And so, ladies, what I need you to do is just... Um, you know, if you're going to listen in at this moment, you just need to listen very, uh, just kind of be very, very kind, you know, to your husband. All elbows need to be in at this point, all right? So elbows in, uh, no chicken thing going on here, uh, not like I told you so. There's just a couple times I'm going to talk to us, to us guys as if it's a men's retreat, okay? As if it's just, just us guys. And here's the message. Guys, this is imp particularly important for us to catch this core message of the book of Proverbs. Core message that our marriages are, are incredibly important. We need to do whatever it takes to make it work. And the reason is, is because as guys, we tend to be very task-focused. Okay, we're, we're task achievers. Uh, our wives tend to be relationship-focused. It's how we're wired. That's why wives are usually the ones in a family that's more kind of what's aware of what's going on with the kids, more aware of how the marriage is doing. They're the ones that more bring it to the surface. Wives, you know, just kind of naturally, the way God's wired them, more aware of what's going on in the marriage. They're going to bring that to the table quicker. Uh, guys, we're task-oriented. You know, what's the goal? Where are we going? Let's achieve it. Okay, I need a wife. There's wife. Lock on. Get wife. You know, okay, I'm done. Now what's next task? You know, and now it's work. You know, now it's uh, fantasy football. Now it's ministry. Now it's something. But we tend to kind of feel like, hey, you know, we accomplished that goal. I got the wife. I'm done. You know, this, hey, I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. You know? And so... Often, our wives are the ones that are kind of the relationship monitors. In, and, and so when Proverbs comes to them and says, hey, your, your marriage is really important. You need me to talk priority. Typically, wives tend to get that quicker. Like, I knew that. 
I don't need to read Proverbs tonight. I didn't think I knew that. But for us guys, and remember, this was written to us as men, father-son advice, father of advice to us as sons is, hey, take care of your marriage. This is a top priority. Whatever it takes, make it work. Now, I, I threw in a couple of quotes here from just books I've read over the years that talk about the importance of making our marriage work. And I thought it would set us up well. It kind of underlines what Solomon's saying. First one, there's some Gary Richman who wrote the book, The Divorce Decision, very respected singles pastor. There's nothing as satisfying as a good marriage nor as devastating as a bad one. Isn't that good? Isn't that true? If you've been married, you know that's true. Uh, next guy is Dan Allender and Trimper Longman III, their book, Intimate Allies. The deepest struggles of life will occur at the most primary relationship affected by the fall, which is marriage. No one on earth will have more potential to do harm or to do good than your spouse. Isn't that true? Wow, you see, it's just honing in. Uh, Willard Harley, who's a respected Christian counselor, written in the area a lot of helping couples who've gone through affairs put their marriage back together. In marriage, you have the unprecedented opportunity to make your spouse happy. You do that whenever you make, meet his or her most, emotional need, most important emotional needs. But you're also in a position to make your spouse miserable, more miserable than anyone else can. You see, this is what Proverbs is saying, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that a great marriage is a gift from the Lord. A bad marriage, cancer in your bones. So pay attention. Make it a priority. Make it work. Last quote there, favorite Russian proverb, before going to war, pray once. Before going to sea, pray twice. Before going to marriage, <laughs> pray three times. <laughs> so that's how the, the Russians do their proverbs. Anyway, Now, here's an interesting thing. As you study the book of Proverbs, very interesting, there is very little what I would call marriage-specific advice. In other words, there's, there's very little as you look through and it says, okay, if you want to have a happy marriage, uh, make sure you spend time together on a regular basis. Hey, if you want to have a happy marriage, uh, make sure that you have good communication. Uh, if you want to have a happy marriage... Um, uh, learn about male-female differences. You know, men are from Mars, women are from... You know, learn about that. Very little advice is marriage-specific. What Proverbs has is a lot of relationship advice that applies to marriage. You know, so if you're reading through the book of Proverbs and you want to make a better marriage, you really need to read it through that lens of, okay, well, what does it say about marriage? And just, hey, it says be a good listener. It says watch your words like we talked about last week. It says, hey, control your anger. There's a lot of stuff that could be applied to marriage that's true of all relationship. Very little marriage-specific advice. However, there are two exceptions. There are two things that, that Proverbs says you have to do if you want to have a good marriage. Number one, it says you're going to have to learn to resolve conflict, okay? And the second thing that it says is you need to work on having a good sex life. Now, this week, we're going to talk about resolving conflict, okay? Next week, I'm bringing a message called Solomon on Sex. I encourage you to be here because it may be my final message. Um, <laughs> I've really enjoyed these 10 months. I love you. And if it just doesn't work out after this point, you know, I just want to go out with a bang. Anyway, so, um, so, so next week, it'll, there'll be application to, you know, we'll be talking about Solomon on sex. We'll be talking about the importance of uh, building a strong sex life in our marriage. Uh, but it's also much broader than that. It's not really a marriage talk next week. It's really, it's more Solomon on sex. Uh, what does the Bible say about this important topic that is so critical in our lives and our culture today? And, uh, and in all seriousness, uh, there will be parts of it that's rated a little bit R. Okay, I'm not teaching anything the Bible didn't say, but I'm going to teach what the Bible says. And so um, if you have younger kids and you feel like, I'm not sure that I feel comfortable with that, then, um, then you're forewarned, all right? So now you know, and uh, now you're also not going to miss it, are you? <laughs> you're like, everyone's like, hey, I've never heard a rated R sermon. Okay, um, today we're focusing, though, on how to make your marriage work, this first issue. And Solomon's going to say, hey, you need to... to uh, to learn how to resolve conflict. And here's his bottom line. If you study the book of Proverbs, say, what does he teach about conflict and resolving conflict? Here's Solomon's bottom line, is that if we don't learn how to resolve conflict, 
will end up living parallel lives. That's the bottom line. He says, you know what? If you don't learn how to do conflict in your marriage, that you're going to end up living uh, parallel lives. Well, what does that mean? Well, it could mean you're going to be totally separated. It could mean you're going to get divorced. It could mean that you'll live under the same roof, but you're living separate lives. You know, have you known couples like that? Or maybe you've experienced that in times of your marriage. Maybe your parents are like that, or you saw that growing up, or you have friends. It's, you know, they're committed to marriage, and so they're not getting a divorce, but they really live parallel lives. I mean, they don't just, their life is not a shared life. There's not an intersection of lives. It's just he does his life, she does her life. They are like separate, uh, separate though married. And so Solomon says, if you don't learn how to deal with conflict in your marriage, this is what's going to happen. You're going to end up, in one of these three ways, separate life. And so today he wants to talk to us about that topic. So let's take our Bibles and see what he has to say. Proverbs twenty-one nineteen. Now remember, ladies, this is father-son discussions we're listening in on. And so again, when he picks on wives, it's nothing about the wife in particular. It could go both ways. It's just that he's talking to his son about this. So 2119, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Okay, let's just close in prayer. And uh, I'm not sure, it's just with the Bible, so I'm just reading it. Um, here's what he's saying. If you're in a bad marriage, it can get so painful that it comes to the point where you would rather live totally separately than be together. He says that, that's, that, that can happen. Um, he says if you live uh, with someone, there's a lot of quarrelsome, there's a lot of unresolved conflict, a lot of quarreling. It can get so painful, you'd just rather be on your own. Now, let me talk to those of you who are single here for just a second, because this is very important. If you're single, chances are it's, it's often a painful experience. We just went through Valentine's Day, often a very painful experience if you're a single adult. And uh, uh, the fact of the matter is, sometimes it can get so painful, being the loneliness of being single, that it gets very tempted to lower your standards. It's sort of like in the old days, we used to have, remember, uh, smoking and non-smoking restaurants, and you could go and they say, you want smoking or non-smoking? And then, um, or they say, or do you want next available? And so, uh, you know, if you're in a hurry, you know, you just got to get in and, and eat and run. You'd say, uh, uh, I, I'd really like the non-smoking, but I'll just take next available. Well, it's kind of like that in dating, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, you, you know, you're a Christian. We need to do the, the non-smoking thing. Not the smoke, you know, smoking's the issue, but I'm, yeah, it, we need to do, we need a follower of Jesus. We need to pick someone who's walking with Jesus. We need to, we know that and so on. But sometimes we get in a hurry and the pain of life gets to where it's like, okay, just next available. And what Proverbs is saying is be very careful about this. And, and as a single adult, you need, you know this, but I need to remind you of this. That there is a pain of being lonely as a single adult. It's a very real and very deep and sometimes bone-crunching pain. And I understand that. But what you need to remember always, that there is a greater pain of being lonely in a bad marriage. And therefore, you need to choose very wisely and not allow that pain to drive you into making a decision that will cause greater pain. Eh? Let's look at the next verse. Uh, next verse is Proverbs 21.9, just earlier in the chapter. Now, he just changes the metaphor here. Same message, different metaphor. Better to live on the corner of the roof. <laughs> uh, he must have been having a bad day. It's all, it's all chapter. Okay. Hey, son, did you get this? Uh, you know that desert thing? You weren't paying attention. Okay, let's go. Better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Or, or let's, say, let's say spouse. <laughs> hey, he says, hey, you know, you get to the place where, hey, is there an extra room you could move into? Uh, is there like a corner of the attic? You know, uh, do you have like a trailer behind your house? Guest house. You know, anything. Any other place than under the same space. Let's look at one other one. 2715. And here's one. A quarrelsome wife 
or husband, by the way, is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. We call that Chinese water torture. He says, hey, when you're living with someone, it's just like there's unresolved conflict all the time. You're always bickering. You're always fighting. There's always quarreling. It's like this drip, drip, drip on your life, and it can drive you nuts. I put a quote there from Intimate Allies again. Living, a, living with the argumentative spouse is like living with a constant water torture. One method of psychological warfare used to break POWs was to place them under a constant dripping of water. After a while, the monotony, the minor irritation become, became unbearable, and prisoners would offer any information to their captors to avoid the suffering. To live with a spouse who is constantly nagging, complaining, seeing the downside of life, it's like living under psychological warfare. It wears a person down. It makes life unbearable. And anything even living in a dark, lonely corner of the house or even the desert is better than that. And so Solomon comes to us and says, hey, if you're married, hey, you know, wake up. If you're married, your marriage is important. And we need to do whatever it takes to make this thing work. If you're not married, hey, pay attention. Choose wisely. We'll talk more about that later. Now, In the rest of the time that we have today, I really want to drill down on this. I want to spend some time talking about this whole issue of resolving conflict in marriage. And and the way I want to get at it is by through the research of a a very famous researcher the last 20 years in the area of marriage. His name is Dr. John Gottman. Uh, He's from a Jewish background, not a, a Christian believer as far as I know, but it's some very insightful research. He works at the University of Washington. He's a researcher there, research psychologist. For the last 20 years, he's been bringing couples into his uh, University of Washington. He actually has an apartment there, a really cool, nice apartment. He has couples live in this apartment with videotape going. And he actually tapes her interaction, and then he tapes her counseling session. And he's identified kind of four stages that a a marriage that's going bad goes through on the way to a divorce. And and so he's identified these, these four stages... And it's, it's been so accurate that in some of his studies, he's been able to predict with 94% accuracy which couples will get divorced within three years based on, these, based on just observing this. And here's the interesting thing. This is a fascinating thing. After all these 20 years of research, what he says is, you know what? The difference between good marriages and bad marriages is the ability to resolve conflict. He says, that's what it comes down to. In fact, there on your note sheet, look what it says. If there is one lesson that I've learned from all my years of research, and these italics are his, it is that a lasting marriage results from a couple's ability to resolve the conflicts, now catch this, that are inevitable in any relationship. You know, sometimes you're in a bad marriage, you think, I just married the wrong person. We're just not compatible. He says, no, no, no. It has nothing to do with compatibility. Every relationship's going to have issues. The issue is how you resolve the issues. That's the issue. The issue isn't whether you have issues. The issue is whether you can resolve the issues. And so he's identified these four predictable stages. He calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That comes from the book of Revelation, you probably know. Um, where, you know, the scroll is open and has seven seals and the lamb opens them one at a time. And as, as the first four are opened, the seal on the scroll, this devastation's released as a horseman comes out to, to kind of unleash devastation on planet Earth. And so he calls us the four horsemen. And he says, basically, there's these four predictable stages. If you don't get it solved, the conflict solved at stage one, it's going to go to stage two, and then it's going to stage three. And each stage is worse than the stage before. And so we're going to take some time walking through these, just uh, kind of quickly going through. And let me set it up. What he's saying is that every relationship is going to have a, a conflict. And the issue is he calls these complaints. Okay, and we're going to use his dictionary here, his terms. He calls this normal conflict complaints. He says every relationship is going to have. By the way, if you're single and you're, you're considering marrying someone, this becomes critical. How do you solve conflict in your relationship? 
When people ask me how long you should be engaged or in dating or whatever, I always tell people, like, give it at least a year of knowing each other before you get married because you want to go around the calendar at least once because it's going to raise different issues of conflict. And it's so important that you, you, you figure out while you're dating, can we resolve conflict? See, a lot of single people will say, I don't want to bring up the issue right now. Things are going so well. After we get married and there's stability and security, we'll learn to deal with the conflict. Oh, wrong answer. You see, we need to figure out ahead of time, is this a person I can do conflict well? Because if we can't, it's the number one reason that the marriages get in trouble. So anyway, he says every relationship is going to have conflict. Every relationship, he calls them complaints. Now, let me define a complaint. A, g- a complaint is a behavioral issue. It's a bit, you know, when your spouse does something you don't like, it's something they do, it's, it's a complaint. You have a complaint against them. So, for example, it could be, um, uh, it could be like, you know, the, the house is a mess. You know, the house is always a mess. I don't like that. That's a complaint. Uh, the gas tank, it's always empty when I use the car. You know, could, could you fill it out? I, yeah, I don't like it. Hey, you're spending too much money. Um, we don't spend enough time together. You're talking too much. I'm not listening enough. Whatever. Um, it's, it could be, uh, we don't communicate, but there's a complaint. He says, that's normal. That's normal. If you're married, the second definition of marriage is a place to air complaints, right? So, you know, it's, it's part of marriage. Every marriage is going to have complaints. Yours is, mine is, whatever. But he says, but when you don't resolve the complaints, anger is going to build. And when anger builds over unresolved complaints, the first horseman is released. The first horseman is a horseman of criticism. Now you say, well, Mike, what's the difference between criticism and complaint? Well, a complaint is about behavior. Criticism is about the person. It gets personal. In fact, there in your note sheet, I put one quote from his, one of his books. On the surface, there may, seem, there may not seem to be much difference between complaining and criticizing, but criticism involves attacking someone's personality or character rather than a specific behavior, and it's usually with blame. So let me give you a couple examples. It's not just that the house is messy. It's that, you know, the house is always messy. You are so lazy. See how we've just, we've moved from behavior to personality or character. It's not just the house is messy. It's now you're lazy. Let me give you another one. Um, it's not just you're spending too much money. It's that you are irresponsible. See, we've just moved from being you know, hey, you're spending too much money. We've got to figure this out too. You're spending so much money. You always spend too much money. How come you are so irresponsible? You're like being married to you is being married like a little kid. It's like I've got to give you an allowance or something like that. It's like how do you expect us to, you know, pay the bills around here when, when you can't control your spending? You see, you see how it's become very personal now. Um, here's one, you know. You know, every time I use the gas, the, 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 uh, every time I use the Pathfinder, it's empty. You know, we've talked about this before. It's like you're so self-absorbed. You always say, why do I have to do everything? And we've moved from empty gas tank to being self-absorbed, you see. So he says, this is the first warning light that a marriage is heading down a bad, uh, bad, a bad track. And, um, and, you know, I want you to think of this as like warning lights on the dashboard of your marriage, Okay. These four sides are like warning lights. Now, when a warning light comes on, the idea is you go back to the manual and you figure out what's, what's going on here, right? That's the idea. The whole idea of a warning light is to warn you. Now, a lot of us ignore warning lights on our cars, right? It's like, what's that light? I don't know. It's been on for years. You know? I don't know. None of the other lights come on. I guess that's the only one working. You know, it's... Um, and, and so... If you think of your marriage like a car, uh, then, then, then the point is, when the warning lights come on, hey, we need to pull over to the side of the road, get the manual, and say, what's going on here? We need to fix this thing, you know? Because if we keep driving, it might mean that you don't have enough oil. You're going to blow the engine or something. And the longer you drive it, the bigger the repair bill is going to go up, you see? Much like a marriage, by the way. 
And so he says the first, the first, uh, first horseman, first warning light is, is criticism, where you're not really resolving complaints, and so anger is building, and, and now it's getting personal. Okay, the second horseman. If you don't solve conflict at, this, at the first level there, uh, complaints, then it goes to this, this, the first horseman. Now we go to the next level. The second horseman is contempt. And you say, well, what's the difference between criticism and contempt? Well, it's, first of all, the level of resentment is, is very different. Um, when, you give, when you give criticism, um, you may say some things that really hurt the other person, but chances are you're going to come out of it. Chances are later you're going to come back and you say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. You're not really lazy. Let's just see if we can work this out, right? So that's how it kind of works. You kind of rebound out of it. But when you come to the point of contempt, it's come to, to, to those, that the way of looking at your spouse is permanent. The resentment is permanent. It's no longer, it, you know, it's like you're just a lazy person all the time. That's how I see you. And so there's a contempt that comes up for that person at that point. The spouse that you once loved is now, they're disgusting. They're stupid. They're incompetent. They're a fool. And you can't see anything positive. And it's just the way it is all the time. It's just the way you look at it. There's just a deep resentment. The second thing about the stage is that whereas before you would often hurt the other person through your criticism, but you'd get over it, maybe, you know, I'm sorry or whatever, uh, it was accidental. You'd say things, but it was kind of like you just lost your temper. Now it's intentional. Now the criticism is designed to hurt. I was talking with a lady after the last service, and she was talking about some friends, not here at Rocky Peak, but um, talking with some friends that, uh, you know, another part of the state, that are going through a difficult time in the marriage. And she said, you know, she said, I, I, she says, when I'm with them, you know, they're, they're Christian people, but the wife often says things that's kind of humiliating for the husband. She just says things that are very painful. They're, just, it's, it's, they're, they're, you know, kind of right on public. It's like, well, I said, well, you know what that means? That means that the criticism that happened in private was not resolved, and now it's going public. And so you begin to see this in, in a couple going through this level three kind of, uh, or level two uh, horseman stage, is that there begins to be an attacks. There, there are verbal attacks. There's hitting below the belt. There's bringing up sensitive issues. Sometimes in private, often in public even, it comes out. There's sarcasm. There's barbs. And it's designed to injure. Okay? It's not like accidental. It's designed to be a dig. In Proverbs 12, 18, we looked at this verse last week. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but it says, but the tongue of healing of the wise brings healing. Very little healing going on at this stage. See, in the criticism stage, you can come back later and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Will you forgive me? And you repair the relationship. But at this point, there's kind of no repairs going on. It's just contempt all the time. There, there's no repairs. Okay, now, of course, if we don't get help at this point in the marriage, the third horseman that shows up is defensiveness. Now, in a way, I wish he had a different term for this. I remember I'm using his terms. Because defensiveness shows up any time in our life we're challenged lots of times, right? I mean, just someone brings a complaint against you. Hey, the car's, you know, empty again, or the, the kitchen's a mess. And our natural tendency is just to defend it, right? So defensiveness can happen at any time in the process. But here's what he means by defensiveness. What he means is at this stage, the pain has gotten so great that we have the inability to assume responsibility for anything that's our fault, that there's a total and complete defensiveness. It's just whatever you say I did wrong, I'm going to say it's your fault. So you say, hey, come on, you're spending too much again. We're not making the bills. It's like, well, if you made more money, it's like the fact is, you know, he is spending too much. She is spending, you know, it's very obvious. You know, he just bought a new chainsaw. You know, they have... No, they can't afford that. I just bought a new BMW or she just went down and did a shopping spree. They're deep in debt. It's obvious they should not have done that. And yet instead of saying, yeah, you're right, there's a total inability to see it. 
It's like the pain has gotten so great, we can't admit any fault in this thing. And so now it's black, it's white, and I'm white and you're black. You know, I'm right and you're wrong. And so we're losing all ability at this stage to become objective. And we're getting very close to moving to the desert, aren't we? This marriage is getting very close to the desert or the attic. There's only one stage left. It's what, what uh, Solomon calls the, the, the desert or the attic. The fourth stage is uh, stonewalling. Now, when you get to the stage of stonewalling, basically one or the other of the couple or both, they withdraw from the relationship. They refuse to engage anymore in the relationship. This can take different looks. It could be the wife who the husband talks to her and he, she just says an answer. Just an answer. Refuses to engage, refuses to talk. It could be the, the husband who she starts to talk to him about an issue. He just says, why talk to you? You're always right anyway, and then walks away. But however you describe it, it could be getting in the car and it's like, I'm out of here. It could be physically separating. Now, let me say this. In a good marriage, when you're going through conflict and it's getting hot, it's a good thing to take a time out, right? It's a good thing to step out and say, you know what? We're not going to resolve anything. We talked about this last week. And there's, we're not going to resolve it. We're just, let's, let's just go to our corners, you know, and let's calm down. We'll come back and we'll talk about it again. That's a good thing. Because you're, you're getting away, getting perspective, and you're re-engaging. This is different. This is where there's a permanent disengagement. Interesting, because the research shows, his research shows, that typically this is a more male behavior than female. That, um, that 80, 85% of the time, it tends to be men who stonewall as opposed to women. And I really believe this because as you study the differences between men and women, you know, most women are, are way more verbal, verbally skilled than, than men. And I really believe that often in a marriage, it comes to a point like this, that often men feel like I, they can't keep up verbally. You know, men, we have different strengths, we have different skills, and, and, and that the wife can come much faster than we know how to respond. She's got three arguments for our one. We don't know. And so often as a way of defense... A man will say, I'm out of here. It's, it's a way of defense. But the point is, when the marriage gets to this point, whether it's the man or the woman, you can see how it's very difficult to get this thing fixed, isn't it? It's like we are now going to our attics. We're now going to our deserts. We're now at the final stage Solomon warned us about. We're going to live parallel lives. It's interesting, when you talk to stonewallers and you ask them why are they doing this, they will often see this as a positive step. They'll see it as, hey, I'm trying to keep things from deteriorating anymore. I'm trying to keep things from blowing totally out of proportion. I'm trying to keep this thing from going thermonuclear. And so they will see it as a positive step. But the interesting thing, if you talk to the people being stonewalled, it feels to them like the ultimate abuse and the ultimate rejection. Because it feels like, hey, you're not even worth me talking to. You don't even deserve a response. And so the silent treatment becomes the most powerful attack tool in our, in our arsenal. So, can you see how natural this process is? You got complaints going on in your marriage. If you don't learn how to resolve those, then anger builds and, and we move into critical stage. You know, and if we don't resolve them there... It comes to contempt. It's like, how else could it go? You see, it's how else could it go? And then once the contempt is so great, you're so much pain, you're like a boxer in the corner. That it's just, you just, you know, you're being pummeled and you're losing the fight and you just kind of cover yourself and you get real defensive. And that finally leads to someone says, I'm out of the ring, I'm out of here. And you see, it's just so natural. It makes sense, doesn't it? And so what Solomon says is, if you're married, hey, when the warning lights come on on the dashboard of your marriage, pay attention. You know, do whatever it takes to get those things fixed. So, so let me just kind of wrap this up. This is kind of some challenge to you. Here's, here's a challenge. I think, again, if you're single, here's a challenge, is that one of the most important areas you need to be looking at 
in your dating process is your ability to resolve conflict with the person you're dating. This becomes a critical component of saying, is this a relationship I want to continue or not? Can we work through things? I know it's going to do this perfectly, but if you can't work through conflict and resolve conflict and resolve issues in a positive way, it's a real warning side. Maybe this is not the person for you, or maybe there needs to be some counseling, or maybe something, but, but uh, and maybe the timing's off, but you don't want to move forward in a relationship like that. And for those of us who are married, I think what it says is when these warning lights come on, whether it's warning light one, two, three, or four, wherever stage you are in your marriage, when those lights are coming on, it's just a real challenge to us. Hey, we need to sit up. We need to pay attention because you can see where the path is leading. And if we don't, if we don't solve it now, it, the next light's going to come on and we're going to move into the next stage. And it gets harder with every stage. It becomes harder to turn, turn it back. Now, Guys, this is the second time in this message I want to talk to us for just a second, okay? And, and we talked earlier about our wives tend to be the ones who are, are, are kind of more intuitive about the kind of grading of our relationship. You know, you, you might ask uh, the average guy, how's, our, how's your marriage doing? Great, I'd give it an A. Then, you know, talk to the wife and like, oh, it's a C. And we tend to, we tend to grade it much higher. Um, and so here's the challenge. I, as a church, we need to learn as men to be the spiritual leaders in our family. Now, it's interesting to me because often the way we define spiritual leadership, I think, is not necessarily biblical. Like, sometimes we'll define spiritual leadership as, well, who knows their Bible the best? Well, that's not spiritual leadership. I mean, it, it has a, it's got a component of spiritual leadership, but your wife might have the gift of teaching. Teachers usually have, like, knowledge, Bible study sort of gifts. You, you may have the gift of service and be totally different gifts. So, so Bible study, that's not really it, you know. Um, the Bible knowledge isn't about spiritual. You know, spiritual leadership. When I talk to men about spiritual leadership, here's what I ask. In your family, who is most passionate about pleasing Jesus? And number two, who is taking responsibility for the health of your family? And so I don't. You could be a brand new Christian, and your wife's been a Christian a long time. You can still be the spiritual leader. It's not about knowledge. It's about it's about hey, we want to do life the right way. I'm taking ownership of that. I'm passionate about this. And and you know what? We've got issues. I want to solve them. So you might feel like as a man, I don't have a clue how to solve my marriage issues. I'm not very good relationally. I can't figure this out. I've tried a couple things. Nothing's worked. I don't get it. It's like that's okay. You don't have to have a clue to be the spiritual leader. You just have to get a clue. You see? Very different. And you do that by taking ownership and saying, okay, I'm not going to wait for my wife to solve this. I'm going to solve this. And, and you're a man. You're wired to solve problems. You know, God's wired you that way. And that's why he's called to be the spiritual leader of your family is that he wants you to take responsibility for your marriage. And so many times what I'll see is that wives will take responsibility for the marriage. And it's just backwards, you see. If we want to build strong homes and strong marriages, guys, then we need to do that. Now, get, women, this is so important that you just leave this topic here. You know what I just said? Leave the topic here. Because as guys, we don't respond to nagging. We don't respond to, you know. But your, your husband, if, you know, if he's there, he, he knows that. He heard that. And let that be between God and him. That's a decision he's going to have to make. Now, let's talk, though, about, about how you repair a marriage. It starts with a couple things. One is that uh, both husbands and wife, you both need to make a commitment to make your marriage work. That's where it starts. And you, if your marriage is in trouble today, I don't care if you're one, two, three, or four, or whatever. If your marriage is, if you're seeing that you, you both husband and wife, you need to make a fresh commitment to make your marriage work. And let me tell you what that first, the first part of that is. You need to eliminate the D word from your vocabulary, right? Well, what the D word is, it's not dummy. <laughs> it's not duplicitous, right? The D word's divorce, isn't it? And if we're serious about following Jesus here, which as a church, I hope we're, that's what we're about. If we're serious about following, we need to say, you know what? Jesus was very clear on this. We're followers of Jesus. We need to eliminate the D word from our vocabulary. It's so important. It starts with a commitment of saying, you know what? We're in this thing for life. You know, it's funny. 
is that what a difference this makes in a marriage. If your marriage has the attitude of, I'm going to give this my best shot, you know, but if it doesn't work, well, then I'll look at the alternatives. I can tell you one thing, that you will not give your marriage the best shot. Why? Because you've just given yourself an escape class. It's like, this is a freeway. You've got to take off those exits. It's like, no, no, no. This is for life. We're committed. We're going to make it work. It's interesting. One of the books that's uh, on, the, on the previous page in your note sheet, you don't need to turn there now, but just for reference later. It's a great book by the Parrots, Dr. Les and Leslie Parrot. They're Christian counselors up in the Seattle area as well. And they, their writings are just very helpful. And they wrote a book called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And I'd highly recommend it, whether you're married or not married. It doesn't make any difference. This really applies to both, uh, whether you're dating or, or uh, already married. Um, and in there, they cite a, a very fascinating study done by these three doctors. They studied 6,000 marriages, 3,000 divorces to find out what is it that caused a divorce. And you know what they discovered? They said the most important thing about the people that are married is the commitment they are to staying married. In fact, this is what they said. You don't have this quote, so just listen. He said, there may be nothing more important in a marriage than the determination that it shall persist. Yeah, that's where it begins. And so the first step is that as a husband and wife, you need to say, you know what? We're followers of Jesus. We're going to make this thing work. We are committed. Come hell, call it, come high water. We're going to figure this thing out. Okay, that's the first thing. But there's a second commitment that is equally as important because just a commitment to commitment is not enough. The second commitment is you're going to need to make a commitment to take whatever steps needed to repair your marriage. You see, the, the thing is, remember that psychological torture we talked about, that dripping? It's, it's that even POWs would break under the pressure of constant uh, warfare, you know, this constant psychological warfare. They would break. They were extremely committed to their country, extremely committed to not giving up the information. But when the pain gets great enough, it's very hard to keep our commitments. So we're serious about making our marriage work. We don't only have to be committed to making it work. We have to take the steps to reduce the pain. Otherwise, it's going to undercut our commitment. Does that make sense? And so what does that look like? Well, for some of you, you've just been married a short amount of time. And if you're seeing these, these four horsemen rear their head or just one or two, I just want to challenge you these early days of your marriage that you would start taking the steps right now. Don't wait. Don't, don't sweep it under the carpet. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend. Get some help. At this stage in your marriage, it's a marriage short time. It might just be reading a couple books together, talking about it, going out on a date night, maybe going to a marriage seminar. That might be good enough. That gets you back on track. You learn the lessons. You go. That's it. For some of you, though, you're further along the, 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 uh, the whole uh, spectrum. You know, you got more horsemen appearing. That's not going to cut it. You know, you're going to have to say, hey, those steps are good, but we're going to have to take some other steps. You know, one of the things I, I saw in all my years of uh, marital counseling, I used to do a lot of that, was that the marriages I would most often see in trouble were those in the middle years. They, they weren't like the early years, the first seven. It'd be somewhere between years maybe seven and 15. Those seem to be hot spots. You know, kids are coming along. There's a lot of stress. But what's happened is that the inability to resolve conflict has gone on for like nine years now or 12 years and the pain is going up and, and they are no longer to sweep it under the carpet but the contempt is kicking in and now it's getting very hard to solve. And so if you find yourself in that, very likely that reading the couple books together or doing a date night, you're like the last thing you want to do is a date night together. You'll probably need some professional help. You'll probably need some counseling. Christian counselor. And I have people tell me sometimes, well, Mike, I don't want to go to counseling. It's too expensive. It's very expensive. And I, I under, totally get that. I understand that. But what I always tell them is the same thing. Do you have any idea how expensive a divorce is? And I'm not talking about the emotional cost of a divorce. I'm not talking about the psychological cost of the divorce. I'm not talking about how a divorce never ends and issues never end and they go on forever. All that's all true. I'm just talking, I'm appealing to your wallet right now. All I say is, do you understand what a divorce costs? Investment in counseling is the best investment you'll ever make. It's like investing in a stock that you know is going to split four times. It's like, it's a great investment. 
You say, because if you deal with it now, the, you know, of course, finance is sort of the least of it, isn't it? In the long run, it's, finance is the least of it. But if finances are holding you back, let me just challenge you. Best investment you're ever going to make. And finally, this will me encourage you. You know, if you're in a bad marriage, you know, God can turn this thing around. He's going to need your cooperation. It's going to take hard work. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be painful. I just tell you, it's way less painful than a divorce. But you can turn this thing around. I've seen it happen over and over again. God is for you in your marriage. And if you will surrender your life to him and you say, okay, God, I'm serious. I will follow you if you will lead me. You show me what to do. God can turn around even stage four marriages. And I've seen it over and over again. It was so great. After last service, a couple came up. They said, thank you for teaching on that. Well, why? Why is it? He said, because that's where we were. You know, that contempt stage, that's where we were. But God has done a miracle in our marriage. And he's turned it around. And he's changed it. And we want people to know that it doesn't matter how bad your marriage is because we know we were there. He can change it. And I said, yeah, it's people like you. We need telling your story. You see? But God can do that. I just want to encourage you that if you're in a place, whatever stage, uh, one, two, three, or four, if that's where you find yourself today, hey, pull over by the side of the road. Get the help you need. Call triple the spiritual triple A or whatever, you know? It's like, don't keep driving. Take action. Get the help you need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, amazingly practical book. And uh, this week after week, as it comes to us and talks, here's how to live life. Here's how to do it. And thank you for this message today, that if we're married, the most important relationship in our life, we need to do whatever it takes to make it work. And if we're single, oh, it's the most important relationship of our life we're going to have. We need to choose oh so carefully and be wise. God, we pray that you would write these lessons to our heart. You'd teach them to us as a congregation. May we be here at Church of uh, Rocky Peak, a place where we are really growing in our marriages and being a light to the world as a place it really is possible to have great marriages that are building each other up and not tearing each other down. And maybe it be an honor and a witness and a testimony to you, God, on what you've done in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. The winds of change. Sometimes they need to blow through the attics and the deserts of our life, don't they? And uh, in the Holy Spirit, uh, John chapter 3, Jesus said, you know, he's like the wind. You don't know where he comes from. You don't know where he's going, but he just shows up and he blows in new ways. And maybe it's a time for the wind and the Spirit to blow through your marriage in a new way. You know, some of you here are probably just very fortunate. You've been sitting here and it's been good good stuff to be learning and reflecting on to use and so on. But you're just so fortunate because you're really in a good space in your marriage. And this is just a reminder to treasure it. Make it a priority. Keep it that way. Spend that time together. Invest in each other and so on. And for some of us here, it may be different. It may be, hey, we're level one, we're level two, we're level three. And I think God's word is, let's open up, let's open up, throw wide the doors of our life to the spirit. Let these winds of change blow through. And uh, may God give you strength and courage to do that if you're faking, facing challenges in your marriage. Um, may the Lord bless you this week. Have a great week. Remember next week, Solomon on sex. So I'll see you, see you then.